All right. Well, hey, I'm Steve Hamburg again. Excited. And I want to just have a quick family moment uh, with all of you. Uh, so all of you know, we just ended 2022 and stepped into 2023. And before I invite Mike to come up here and speak this morning and, finish and continue on our Jesus First series, I want to fit, fill you in on where we ended the year financially uh, so that you can be in the loop. If you remember back in October, I said, hey, guys, pray. We are at a place of a deficit. We believe we can end in a surplus, but it's going to require all of us doing our part and engaging. And so I sent out an email. And, man, it was just great watching people respond to that. And so what I want, you can pull up the numbers for me, Josh. I appreciate it. So I want to give you, this is where we kind of landed, just so you can know what we'd happened in uh, December. So our December giving was 136200 We have budgeted 133400 That was obviously, a, that means we had more come in than we expected, which gave us a surplus in December of about $70,000 based off of what came in and our expenses. And then drum roll, please. Come up to the next numbers, please. This is where we ended the year. Yeah. Last year-end income was $685,000. Our year-end expenses were 651900 I kind of rounded these up a little bit, but basically that's the numbers right there with a year-end surplus of $33,100. Now, this is a really big deal. I remember back in October, y'all weren't freaking out. I wasn't either just kidding. I was a little bit, right, a little bit stressed out. And, and so I'm just so thankful for y'all's response and God's faithfulness in that. And what that allows us to do as we look towards 2023 is to take a three to couple of few different things to kind of pray into as a leadership team, as a staff, to say how can we take that surplus and invest into some of the things that we want to do in 2023, whether it's future staffing, whether it's to fund areas of mission or to invest into our children, our students with uh, with scholarship funds for their camps. And that the idea of being able to pray through that and have a money to work with obviously is a win, right? So again, super thankful for that. Just kind of a heads up in that so you can be in the loop. That that does represent a $100,000 decrease from what we had budgeted for the year and basically $100,000 less of income this year than we had last year. And so it was not a banner year for us financially in the sense of compared to 2021 and 2022. But what it speaks to, one, is the frugal nature of our staff to come alongside and take take their budget, take their ministry items and say, hey, listen, we recognize where we are and we cut out some things in 2022. And then looking forward to 2023, we then formulated a budget that had all of these year-end monies in mind that came in. And so our budget, we basically took it, slashed it by $100,000 for this year, which obviously we prefer not to do that, but in that we feel really good about what we're doing, what we're going after, and believing God to move in 2023. So with that, thank you for your financial investment. Thank you to Jesus for moving in those pieces. And as we move forward in 2023, here's what I'm asking of you financially. It's just very, very simple. For those of you who are faithfully giving on a regular basis because you have a strategy and a plan for giving, whether it's weekly or biweekly or monthly, whatever it may be, and recognizing the call to give offering and tithes and offerings into the body, thank you so much. For those of you who don't have a plan, you just kind of give sporadically. I just invite you to, to build a 
plan, right? Just to build a strategy and a plan for giving. So it's not one of those, oh my gosh, I completely forgot to give and whatever it may be. And you just build a strategy and a plan. And for those who don't give it all at Vintage, I would challenge you this year to say, God, I want to take my money. You see that all the way through scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, there was an expectation and a heartbeat of God that part of your worship, not just giving money, right? But part of your worship would actually be in taking your finances, investing them into the kingdom for what God was doing. And again, I'm not, there's no pressure in that. I just invite you into that expression of worship as part of your lifestyle of worship before the Lord. And if you giving to vintage and giving out to other, there's so many incredible ministries out there, but we just invite you to give towards vintage uh, as your home church. And so with that, super thankful for y'all again, God's blessings on us, upon you. And now let's invite Mike. Sixty-six books, about 35 to 40 authors, centuries in the making, covering everything from God first speaking to him then returning. Three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, various professions from the writers. We've got shepherds, we've got herdsmen, we've got uh, prophets, we've got fishermen, a wide range of topics. Prophecy, poetry, history, and apocalyptic literature. Depth that is almost beyond our understanding. St. Augustine said, the Bible is shallow enough for a child to wade, but deep enough for an elephant to swim. All with one central theme. Jesus said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The word of God has brought down rulers and raised up the impoverished. It has been banned and it has been celebrated. It is the most important book in human history. But what do we do with it? Second Timothy 2.15 tells us to rightly divide the word of God. And Colossians 3.16 says, let the message of the Messiah dwell richly in you. I would say that the, the in question of what do we do with the Bible is this. We get into the word of God so that the word of God gets into us. The word of God teaches us everything we need to know about salvation and Christ. It instructs us on righteousness and sanctification. It reveals truth and error. It is alive and it is active. The word of God gives us access into the stream of God's presence, which is always there, but sometimes hidden from us because he wants us to seek him. If we want to encounter Jesus, if we want to put Jesus first, if we want to make Jesus a priority in our lives, then his word is an excellent way to enter into that. Just pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love. Lord, I thank you that you are, uh, as we sang, you are a way maker, that you are still speaking, that you are still working, that when we approach your word, when we approach you, we're not approaching somebody who has just done things in the past, but who is alive, active, and moving now in our midst, in our communities, in the things that we see and in the things that we don't see. I thank you that you are ever present. Jesus, help us place you first in our lives, in our relationships, in our thoughts, in our actions, that when we wake up and when we lie down, 
We can give you praise. Amen. So why do we read the Bible? If we're taking notes, I'm going to give you four brief reasons. Why do we read the Bible? The first is because it's the word of God. First and foremost, it's the word of God. The Bible is everything that we need to know regarding God and salvation. There is no information outside of the Bible that is more important than what we read in the Bible as far as what we need to know regarding God and salvation. Simon Peter answered him in John 6, 68 and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. If we want to know God, if we want to encounter him, if we want to live a life that pleases him, we should know what he said. Number two, because it's accurate and reliable. The word of God has been studied more than any other book in human history, verified over and over. There are, here's some crazy numbers. There are 5,800, over 5,800 complete or fragmented Jewish manuscripts. There, there's 10,000 Latin manuscripts, and there's about 9,300 other manuscripts in other languages. It's been studied. It's been tested. Some of the oldest manuscript pieces that we have of the New Testament for the Gospel of John date back to about 125 A.D. Now, that sounds like a long time ago, and it is. But from when it was written, it's practically the next day. Number three, because sometimes God's quiet when we pray and worship. But his word, it always speaks. Because he's spoken. In times of war, uh, I I got on this kick a little while back, not on purpose, but watching like World War II movies and stuff like that. Uh, And you notice this one central theme is like soldiers would write letters to their sweethearts back home. Why? Because they couldn't hear each other. They couldn't communicate. So they would write letters back and forth. And what did they do? And and sitting in the foxhole or sitting back home waiting for their loved one, they would take out the letter and reread it. This is what my beloved says to me. That's why we read it. Number four, because it tells us who we are. The Bible, in addition to telling us everything we need to know about God and salvation, everything we need to know about him, tells us who we are, that outside of Christ you are dead in your sins. Inside of Christ. First Peter 2.9 tells us you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We read the word of God because it is everything we need to know about God, about us, and about the Messiah. But we have to desire it. It has to be a desire that we have. You can do something that's not from a desire. Right? So like, think about marriage. Is marriage about love or, or is it about service? Is it, is it about uh, devotion or, or provision? Is, is it about um, doing things because you love or doing things because you have to? Like, you can do the same action and get different results in marriage. We understand this. Like, I can do the dishes or clean the house because I love my wife and because I see that she's tired and and because I want to take a load off of her and just to show her that I care and I see and that she doesn't have to do everything. Or I could do it for spite, which I've done. The action can be that the result can look like the same. It can look like the result is the house is clean or the dishes that are done. But that's not the result. The result is either that my my wife feels that I love her and I care and that she is seen. Or she feels like I'm just not really appreciating and that I think I can do things better than her. 
The result can look the same, but the true result is different. We can read the word of God because, well, we're Christians and I got to read the Bible today. I put in my 15 minutes, Jesus. Or we can read the Bible because we love him, because we desire him, because we want him to be first. How do we read it? So we have why do we read it, but how do we read it? There's two basic ways of reading the Bible for the Christian, for the believer. For those who, who claim Jesus as theirs, there's two basic ways. Now, you can read the Bible for uh, pure information, and I've done this. I'll get to that in a little bit. You can do it that way, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about reading the word of God because you desire Jesus. So there's two basic ways to do that. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. We're actually going to do a, a group project together here at the end. Both are, are valuable and they often overlap. It's devotionally and instructionally. Devotionally means we read the Bible with devotion, which means we're devoting ourselves to a time of prayer, transformation, receiving, correction, worship, and communion with God. That is our desire, our devotion. We're placing him as the object of our devotion, and we're attempting to interact with him through his written word. Instructionally, we can read the Bible with instruction, which is a different set of questions, but we're asking and we're coming to Jesus and saying, what do I do with this? Devotion and instruction often overlap, but what we're doing with instruction is like times of help. Anybody else need help? Multiple times this week, I've picked up God's word and just went, all right, I'm just going to, I'm just going to play Bible roulette. I'm going to open it and God, you're going to speak hallelujah. And he goes, not today, buddy. But we need help. We need instruction, which is why we have all these different genres in the Bible. We have the wisdom books, Psalms and Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, these things that we can turn to for times of instruction and be like, okay, Jesus, I see what you said here. God, I see what you did here. Does that give me any wisdom on what I need to do now? Either way, the point is this, is that we make Jesus first by turning our attention and desires towards him. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to approve, test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. To read the Bible is to place yourself in the hands of God and say, transform me, Lord. To read the Bible devotionally or instructionally, is to read with a heart and an attitude of Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word for listen, but it means so much more than listen. It's listen and obey. Listen and respond. Listen and have the listening cause action within you. To read the Bible is to read with a heart of Shema. It's to read and say, I'm hearing and I obey. What do we tell our kids all the time? You're not listening to me. Right? We tell them, you're not hearing me. And they say, I heard what you said. But we know that they didn't. Because if they did, they would have changed their action. God says a lot of times, you're not listening to me. You're not hearing me. My dad used to say, do your ears overlap? <laughs> no. Ridiculous question, Dad. 
We read with a heart of Shema that says, I will listen and respond, listen and have action caused by my listening. It comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, Shema, O Yisrael, Shema, O Vintage. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets to your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and of your gate. God says, hear what I'm saying to you and have it cause action in you. It is to say, I might not like what I read. I might not fully understand what I read. I might not agree with what I read, but I am willing to be transformed by you, Lord. Anybody else read something in the Bible they just don't like? It happens all the time. You're reading God's word and sometimes like they're the verses you don't share on Instagram. <laughs> right? Nobody highlights some of these verses. You might like underline a word because Jesus really convicted you about something, but you're not you're not sharing that one online. Nobody needs to know. Like that's not going to help my neighbor think that Jesus is going to give him a new car. <laughs> one of my favorite verses that I love and dislike so much is when Jesus is getting ready to leave and he says, I'm getting ready to leave in this world, you will have trouble. But take joy. Because I have overcome the world. I love it because it speaks to the honest reality of the situation around us that in this world we have trouble. The older you get, the more trouble you find. Trouble shows up sometimes. You don't have to go looking for it. All around us, we live in a broken world full of trouble. And Jesus says, take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. It's the reality of the situation. I don't like the fact that the Bible says in this world you will have trouble. I love the fact that Jesus says, take heart, because I've overcome it. It's the heart of Shema as we read the word of God. So I want to give us some practical tools. Now, these are just tools. There is no magic formula when it comes to reading the Bible. You're not going to have some perfect plan where all of a sudden now you start reading and every time you read, the Bible comes alive and everything magical happens and your kids stop screaming or, you know, the, the weather's warm again or whatever it might be. They're just tools. And sometimes you find that these tools or a specific tool that you have found works really well. And you, you use that for a while. A couple of years ago, I found that a tool that worked really well for me was every day I set an alarm at 10 and 2. And all it said was, read and pray. And so for 30 days, that's what I did. Is every day at 10 and 2, my alarm went off. This is all thanks to Steve, by the way. Uh, this is years ago. Uh, so uh, 10 and 2, my alarm went off. And as long as I was not doing something that absolutely could not be stopped and read and pray for 15 minutes and it was glorious it was just it was wonderful 
And then my 30 days ended and I didn't do it. <laughs> no, no, but I tell you that because of this. Then I went back to it a while later and I was like, I'm going to do it again. It worked once. I'm going to repeat the process. And Jesus goes, you ain't got time for that, son. I got stuff for you to do. Just because a tool works right now doesn't mean it will always work. Because we're growing. We're maturing. So they're just tools. But if we want to see Jesus, if we want to put him first, then these are some tools that I think could help. So the first tool is we read it together. As we mentioned, we are part of the body. So one of the things that we can do is read the Bible together in community. Again, 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you, i.e. us, out of darkness into his wonderful light. And so we have all sorts of groups at Vintage that get together regularly, bi-weekly, some of them, and study the word of God together. Second thing we have to do is understand a concept called hyperbolic discounting. Anybody familiar with the term? I read it in a book recently. Uh, really, no, no, it, I, we're all familiar with the concept, believe it or not. You might just not know the name. And it's that the larger or further away the goal, excuse me, the harder it is to achieve said goal. So if you've never read the Bible or you barely read the Bible, then taking on a challenge like, okay, New Year's, I'm going to read the Bible all the way through. That sounds great. And I applaud anybody who wants to do that. But if you don't have a habit of dedicating yourself to the time to time in the word of God, then one of the things that happens is that you fail. And then when you fail, you become discouraged. And when you become discouraged, you stop reading. And that is not what God wants. So I would recommend for a lot of us to break it up. Read a smaller book. Break that book up into just the chapters. Read just sections. I don't know... Like, when I learned this, it set me free on a lot of things, is that the Bible was not written in chapter and verse like we have it. Yes, we read through sections, and things are uh, a unified picture. It's a whole story that's going together, but it's not the chapters and verses that we have broken up. If you've read your Bible long enough, you really understand that, because sometimes chapter 4 starts mid-sentence. So break it up. It's okay. If you're good at reading, then read whole books at a time if you can. Like, start with things like, if, you, if, you're, if you're new to reading the Bible and you're like, I want, God, I want to. I desire to do it. But when I come to the book of Romans, oh, that's cool. Don't worry about it. Read Second John. Read Third John. If you don't know, these are really tiny. Read Obadiah. Nobody understands Obadiah, but it's short and you can say you read it. But then you get better at that, right? You, you want, because what happens is you're building a new vocabulary as well. If you're not familiar with reading the Bible, then you're not familiar with the story. You can get really confused on some of the people in this book and some of the concepts and topics. So you read something like Second John and then Third John, and then you go, okay, now I'm going to read First John. You've all got the same name. I'm sure there's some sort of theme here. You put it all together. You read First John. You go, wow, that was actually really good. That was kind of challenging. And First John's really nice. It's a lot about love. Like how much God loves us and how loving he is. And you're like, okay, I feel pretty confident. I'm going to turn to the book of James. And then you're like, oh, man. <sighs> Why did I do that? But you do that. You, you just pick little things. It's okay when you're starting out to do it that way. I highly recommend it. 
and then you get better. You develop this, this, uh, this, uh, this uh, spiritual muscle of reading. And you start attacking larger things. You start doing things like highlighting and writing notes in your Bible. Whatever it is, come up with a plan that works for you. Don't use somebody else's plan. That's what, that's what God has been developing in them for a long time. Find the one that's going to work for you to help you actually get into the word of God and read it. There's a couple things that we need to be aware of, though. Okay, I'm doing good on time, I think. Um, information drives devotion and instruction as we read the Bible. So one, and some people won't like this, but uh, I wrote them down so I can just stare at this. Uh, not everything that was written was written to you. Okay, it might be written for your information. It might be written for your understanding. It might be written for history purposes. It might be written so that you can understand who God is, but it doesn't mean that it's written for you to do something. Second, and we were talking about this last night at our house, some things are prescriptive and some things are descriptive. This is very important to understand. Um, Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul takes on... He gets to where he's going and he takes on Titus, uh, not Titus, sorry, Timothy. Timothy comes to do missions with him, right? And uh, Timothy's mom is uh, a Jew and his dad is a Greek. So uh, Titus, uh, sorry, Timothy, why do I keep saying Titus? Probably just because we just went through Titus. Uh, so Timothy goes with Paul and Paul takes him to get him circumcised so that he would not offend the Jews and that he could go into synagogue with Paul and proclaim the gospel and do all the things that he had to do. That is descriptive of a situation. How do we know that? Because the rest of the Bible speaks clearly that that is not prescriptive. So it's important to understand these different things. So I, I'm going I'm to jump ahead, and we're going to do something. We're going to do our group project. I think we got time. We got time? I think we got time. Okay, we're going to go through two exercises. One is how we would read the Bible instructionally. Okay? And it's using a tool called um, the Basic Interpretive Journey from Duval and Hayes. So if you have your Bible or a phone, I want us to all look at Joshua chapter 10, verse 12. Starting in verse 12. And I'm just going to wait. Somebody once asked me, what do you do with awkward silence in, a, in, a, in your small group? I'm like, yeah, just wait. Let it sit. <laughs> Let that awkward silence linger for a little while. <laughs> Joshua chapter 10. All right, while you're still turning there, I'm going to give us the five steps. There are five steps to this basic interpretive journey. One, and it's a journey, so it uses journey language. One is grasp the text in their town. So we ask the question, what did the text mean to the biblical audience? Two, we measure the width of the river to cross. So the question is, what's the difference between the biblical audience and us? Because there are differences. Number three, we cross the principalizing bridge. So we ask the question, what's the theological principle of this text? Four, we consult the biblical map. How does our theological principle that we think we're finding fit into the context of the rest of Scripture? Because this is important. Scripture interprets Scripture. Number five, Grasp the text in our own town. How should we, or how do individual Christians today, live out this theological principle? Now, remember what I said. Information, or I'm sorry, instruction and devotion often overlap. But this is, this is a really helpful tool. So we're going to read it with this method. So starting in verse 12. 
On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to the Israelites, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun stand still over Gibeon, and moon over the valley of Ajon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on its enemies. Isn't this written in the book of Jashar? So the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed its setting almost a full day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord listened to the voice of a man because the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgah. So what did the text mean to the original biblical audience? Well, so these are the questions that we use. So we read something like this and we go, okay, what did it mean to the original audience? Well, it meant that God was fighting for them, that God was with them, that God had led the people, that he was fulfilling his promise that he had made centuries before that he would lead them into the land and that once they got into the land that he would fight for them. It also means that God honors faith, I think, is something that we see here. So what are the differences between the biblical audience and us? Well, one, we're not nomads. Two, we're not wandering around a desert. Three, we're not going into a promised land to overtake an enemy, like physically speaking. Like if we have to leave here and fight somebody at Starbucks on the way home, you have a problem. (laughs) That is not what God was commanding you. Your latte is not that important. We cross the principalizing bridge. What's the theological principle in this text? One, I I would say there's two that jump right out at me. One is that God honors faith. That he honors faith. And two, that God honors his promise. How does this theological principle fit in with the rest of the Bible? I think we see that over and over again. We see that in the life of Jesus, that he trusted the Father would raise him from the dead. That he trusted that the Father was going to lead him and guide him in all that he had to do. God honors faith and he honors his promise. So how should individual Christians today live out this theological principle? Well, one, we find the promises of God. And I think we repeat them back to him often. And you said, you said. And then we honor God by having faith in him. And we trust that he honors faith. It doesn't mean that everything becomes pretty. It doesn't mean that everything works out the way you want but it does mean that we trust that he honors faith in him. So we're going to jump into the next one, and we're actually going to, we're going to, as, uh, I don't know who's closing us out, uh, either on the piano or the guitar. Apparently you've got to do that to communicate. Uh, <laughs> so whoever's closing us out, if you could please come up, because what we're going to do is this method is a bit different. Okay, this method is Lecto Divina, and if you're not familiar with it, um, I think Christopher Jameson, former Abbey of Worth Abbey, said uh, this of reading scripture this way. The text is seen as a gift to be received, not a problem to be dissected. You let the text come to you. Because we've talked a lot about understanding and interacting and, and all this, but this method kind of pushes a lot of that away. Now, when I was in school, I struggled with this type of reading a lot because I was I was in a position where I was producing results like I needed to read something and then be able to explain who the authors were, when it was written, what are the theological principles, how does this tie into the rest of Scripture? How can I write a 14 page paper on these two verses? I had to read to produce results. This method of reading Scripture, however. 
comes before God and says, God, I, I want to read your word because I want to interact with you. I need you to speak into my life. I need you to move in me. I need you to move in my life. God, I'm desperate for you. I desire you above all else. Speak, Lord, because I will die without it. I was just reading through Amos. Um, and in Amos chapter 8, it talks about that God says a new famine is coming to the land, to the people of Israel in, in those days. And it wouldn't be a famine where people would thirst for water, but to hear his voice. Sometimes in our life we are thirsty for God in a way that nothing else will satisfy. And reading scripture this way, and not, not again, there's no magic plan, but in a way of true devotion, like we're going to look at here, it says, God, I have to have you. Because I desire you above all else. So there's five steps to this one as well. First, we select a passage of scripture to reflect upon. We're going to use the same verses we just read in Joshua. Because God speaks. Second, we read the passage, preferably out loud, two or three times. We're going to read it three times. We're going to take about 30 seconds or so in between each reading. Then we're going to meditate on the word or phrase that stood out to you. There's about 50 different words that are in here. We're not looking for the theological principle in this. We're looking for God to speak. And maybe when God speaks, sometimes as we're reading these things, it's like, okay, just as an example, uh, and the sun stood still, and you read the word stood still, and you understand still, and you hear God speaking to you, just, just stop. Just breathe. Maybe it's the word son, and you, you, you understand that, God, you are faithful to bring your son every morning. Even if the clouds hide it, even if I don't see it, you are faithful to make it go around all the time. doesn't matter what it is. In the middle. In the middle. God can speak in the middle. God speaks in the middle all the time. In the middle of our day, in the middle of our trouble, in the middle of the night. My wife wakes up in the middle of the night, and she is... She's wonderful about it. She prays. Because she's like, oh, I can't go back to sleep. Pretty sure God's waking me up. And if it's the devil, well, shame on him because now I'm just going to pray. God speaks in the middle. So as we read, whatever it is that God speaks to you through, what we're going to do is we're then going to go, after the third time, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm going to read it the third time, and then Aaron's going to lead us in a time of response. And if your response time is to just sit and meditate on those things God was speaking to you, then sit and meditate on those things God was speaking to you. If it's communion and that's how you need to respond, come up and take communion. If it's, if it's to give because what you saw in this was God saying, trust me, then come up and give. If it's prayer, we'll have our prayer teams up. Whatever it is, respond how God has spoke to you. How the Holy Spirit is moving inside of your life. And then I'll come up and close this out after that. So we have our passage to reflect upon. And now I'm going to read it. And then we're going to take about 30 seconds. But read with me. Don't just listen. If you, if you can't. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to the Israelites, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the presence of Israel. Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon over the valley of Ajon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on its enemies. Isn't this what is written in the book of Jashar? 
So the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed its setting for almost a full day. There had been no day like it before or since, when the Lord listened to the voice of a man, because the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgah. On the day the Lord gave to the Amorites over to the Israelites, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the presence of Israel. Sun stand still over Gibeon and moon over the valley of Ajon. And sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on its enemies. Isn't this what is written in the book of Jashar? So the sun stopped in the middle of the day, in the middle of the sky, and delayed its setting almost a full day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord listened to the voice of a man because the Lord fought for Israel. And Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgah. gave the Amorites over to Israelites. Joshua spoke to the Lord in the presence of Israel. Sun stand still over Gibeon, and moon over the valley of Ajon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on its enemies. Isn't this what is written in the book of Jashar? So the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed its setting almost a full day. There has been no day like it before or since. When the Lord listened to the voice of man because the Lord fought for Israel, then Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgah. Jesus, I thank you for being with us today. I thank you for being here. I thank you for helping us to see you first. But I pray for, for all of us that whatever you spoke, I know what you spoke to me, Lord. Help me to stay there. Help me to remember it when, when times of trouble help all of us. Whatever you spoke to any of us as we're here, help us to stay there in that place with you. And that secret place, it's just you and I. Where just the two of us exist and, and you're speaking loving and care over me. And I pray that you would be before us all week. That we'd remember that you fight for us. That you go before us. That you care. Help us all to place your word as something important before our lives. To submit where we need to submit. Change if we need to change. And rejoice where we rejoice. Where we love you. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, and the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. We're officially dismissed. If you need to stay and pray, continue to stay and pray. If not, go ahead and leave and just let everybody else stay and pray. We love you guys.